Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to 19 to the Dozen, or as I like to call it right now, the 1912 podcast. Decided to change the name because it just flows easier from your mouth. Um, before I get into my guest today, uh, a huge shout out and huge thank you to everyone who subscribed to the channel. I really do appreciate it. And we had about 260 views on YouTube as of yesterday, and that's pretty awesome. I didn't expect that. So thank you very much for everyone who watched. Um, if you haven't subscribed and liked it already, uh, please do so. That would be awesome. Uh, getting into my guest today, uh, it's my very good friend, uh, Varun Mani. He's a naturalist, a uh, band member of mine, and an all-around awesome person. We had a fantastic time. He spoke for nearly an hour, actually, a lot more uh, a lot more than I was expecting. But we have a really interesting discussion about you know stuff that's going on in his life, his uh, experiences in the wild, and uh, we get a little bit into the dating scene again. Um, hope you enjoy this. Uh, take care, and peace. Three, two, one. Hello and welcome, Varun Mani. Nice to see you, bro. <laughs> Glad to be here, man. Glad to see you, bro. After a while. Yeah, it's been it's been a while. Um, I was speaking to Clever last week. I'm sure you saw it as well. So, uh, quite enjoyed yeah, the conversation the with him. Yeah, I quite enjoyed the conversation. <laughs> um, yeah, we had a lot of fun as well. You know, got back with some old memories and stuff. But. Uh, yeah, you know, it's good It's good to have you on. It's good to have you on. And uh, for the people who don't know you, can you give a brief introduction about yourself? I mean, yeah, oh, and, your, and your camera as well, if you don't mind just bringing it a bit down. I'm not sure. Yeah, there you go. That's better. Uh, my All name right. is Varun. I'm an old friend of Kane from Bombay. We, in fact, we studied in the same college, which is hospitality uh, at IHM Bombay which is one of the best institutes of hospitality in India. It is. Uh, I'm a South Bombay. I'm from South Bombay. Studied in camping school and I have a safe background with hotels. I've even worked for the Taj Group Hotels for about two years. And most recently, for the last four years, more than four years in fact, I've been uh, working in wildlife tourism. And I'm happy to talk about that like, in a bit more detail. Sorry, you, you said you're working in wildlife tourism. Yeah. So, uh, mm -hmm. about uh, five years ago, mm -hmm. uh, that's on a faithful trip, which came you there on as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was that was and, a trip uh, that did it for you, I think, the trip to Kana. Yeah, it was actually, it was really random. It was, uh, so Adnan, was, which is a school friend of mine, like he told me about this place called Kana, which he had been to with his family, like quite a few years ago. And it sounded really exciting. And I think Sean and you joined in uh, pretty last minute on this. Yeah, we did. And none of us had any idea like what it's going to be like and what the whole entire like the entire thing entails. All I remember is uh, watching some documentaries before I went, and I remember that. So, so Sean for the people, really... so for the people who don't know, Kanha Kanha is a national park in India, and it's a wildlife reserve. Yeah. It's for for tigers, I believe. It's most well known for tigers and uh, mm -hmm. this highly endangered species called uh, uh, hard ground swamp deer, whose population, in fact, is even less like less than tigers. There are about 700 left in the wild. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's the only place which was the last remaining habitat for the time. Mm -hmm. But yeah, mainly it's for tigers. It's, yeah. And the largest tigers in India uh, at that. It's a beautiful place. Yeah, I mean, because when we went there, like, you were, you were enamored by the place. Like just to put it in my words, I mean, like, bro, like <laughs> from from the from from all of us, I think you were the one like who was most 
taken with with the entire place and with the wildlife and stuff that i mean what what was it that caused that i mean like because i mean i'd known you like for i think what's five six years before that and i don't know you had never really expressed any interest in wildlife as such but that that particular trip was something that did it for you what 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 happened on that i had i had no interest i had no idea i had no clue so i think i was just like you i was just like any other person living in you know in mumbai in a little bubble of how it's best city in india and our dreams either in bombay or maybe overseas but uh, so coming back to the whole like the entire trip that we made together it was uh, like it was totally unplanned i uh, left it to our friend who had been there before and i remember that sean and you really wanted to take your ps3 <laughs> and I, and I and I remember that I was that like, no, no, guys, no. <laughs> I was like, no guys, no guys, don't do this. It's a nature trip and all of so Let's uh, make the most of it because I had watched a lot of documentaries before that. Yeah. yeah. And it kind of got me excited about uh, like the whole experience, but I, I had no idea what it would be like in reality because I've never been for a trip like this in my life. Oh, I just said, had I taken any interest of some childhood or anything of that sort? But yeah, that trip like just wowed me. Yeah, it completely uh, changed you. It did, it did, it did in a lot of ways. Like, what, what, what was about, what was about it that that you felt so enamored with? So, like I the tigers, the I'm sure. May. Yeah, the tiger for sure, but it started off yeah. before the tigers. So really? Just like, yeah, because I, if you remember, we had gone for our first safari like early in the morning. Yeah. And it was like the middle of summer in May, which is like the hottest month. In the entire country, and this is like in the central part of India, which is supposed to also be one of the hottest places in India as well. And you remember it being so cold that we were like freezing our asses off, and uh, we would see no one. There was no one inside the jungle. There was just animals. There were trees. There were beautiful, huge. I remember the trees were huge, and it was pretty green as well. Mm-hmm. And it was completely quiet. You know, like coming from Bombay, there's a there's a din that goes on in your head all the time because you're so used to the lights and sound. Especially the sound, but it was so silent. Uh, it was it was quite unreal for me that experience. And then we saw the tiger, and I think that just there. that just snapped it for you, right? The 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 tiger. But yeah, I mean, like I mean, you clearly love you, you clearly love what you do and stuff, right? I mean, it, it's it's very obvious. Like I see your posts on Instagram as well, you know, with the photography and stuff that you do. You moved to Chitwan. You went Kanha for a bit, and then you moved to Chitwan, right? So basically, after the trip got done, you went back to Kanha to work with with Safari without Safaris, I believe. Yeah, so I quit my job, my my sales marketing job that I had, and through a friend who used to work with me in the Taj, she told me about this. She's pretty spiritual, and she's quite she's from Himachal, which is like a hill, like a hill station, it's a hill hilly state of India, and there's mountains. So she's very into nature. I was good friends with her. She told me about this training program, uh, which Taj conducts to hire aspiring naturalists. And I got to know that it's not for someone; it's not entirely for someone who studies wildlife or anything of that sort. You can come mm-hmm. in with any background to train. And if you get to the training, which is a long and arduous process, you do get into the program, and you can work full time as a wildlife guide. So yeah, that sounded very interesting. So I did apply for that. How was the training? It was brilliant. So I applied once for the training and they invited me. Yeah. But I was too chicken. So <laughs> I did apply. I sent in my resume. I sent in my statement of purpose and all of that. And they even called me to attend the training. 
which happens maybe once a year at best. And I chickened out because A, financially, it's, uh, it's a huge risk and even career-wise, mm-hmm. it's a massive mm-hmm. detour from the regular uh, career path. Mm-hmm. So next year, I went again. And the training was brilliant. Uh, it was it was at Kana itself, which uh, which is actually a huge bonus for me because I knew the place a bit and I had a little bit of a connection over there. But yeah, the training was intense. Uh, there were about twenty, almost twenty people who attended the training, and a lot of them had like wildlife backgrounds. And I was like the outlier, this pretty much spoiled uh, city boy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, city boy. With, <laughs> No clue, no clue at all. Absolutely no clue yeah. at all. No clue whatsoever. So I did end up. And, and these guys, uh, and these guys were from around the area, was it, or like were they from all across? All, the a few of them were. A few of them were. A few of them had, you know, family members or like parents who were into wildlife. And a lot of them are from around the country. So not necessarily around the industry, rigid location, location, mm-hmm. but they had some sort of connect uh, to wildlife, to their childhood, or to their education, yeah. or even through their work as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I was the outlier along with maybe a couple of other cities as well. Yeah. But uh, it was pretty hard to begin with. Uh, like what did you have to do? There was no Wi-Fi. <laughs> so what did I have to do? So initially what the natives do is they did, they sort of tried to filter a few people out of the program before they actually started it. But there were about 20 people I think they wanted only 4 or 5. Holy shit, that's like a boot camp. Dude. It was a boot camp. So there's no yeah. Wi-Fi A. <laughs> okay. All of us uh, became like scrawny little <laughs> people <laughs> after like two or three weeks. Yeah. There was no internet, there's, like, there's no mobile network pretty much. Uh, mm-hmm. So I started off in the summer, we moved into the monsoon, there was no electricity for long periods of time in the monsoon. That's when the lodges closed and the park shut as well. Mm-hmm. Just to come back to the program itself, uh, we would have to, you know, do these impossible tasks, uh, these team building, these team building sort of tasks which they give us the trainer. Yeah. And they're very smart about it. Uh, they give you these tasks which are like absolutely impossible. There's no solution to them at all. And they put you into smaller teams and they see how you react uh, in the entire thing to see if you're, if you're like a good team player or not. And then they instigate you to like turn on your teammates or through a little like a few things. Oh, really? For a little yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Oh, that's brutal. And even after, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they try to, you know, stoke the fire and they yeah, see how yeah, you yeah. react. Because in the wild, especially when you're guiding, you have to be really in tune with what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You have to A, look up the safety and as well as like given an experience with the clients who come there because they're like, they come from around the world. And the company that I work for, which is also a Taj, uh, it's called Taj Safari, mm-hmm. which is a really sought after brand. And the room rates are about $1,000 a night. So you can't go wrong in anything that you do. So yeah, you have to be in tune with the safety aspects as well as the hospitality aspects. So they, they see how you can react in a certain situation. And we would wake up every day in the morning at five, uh, just before five o'clock. We would like take a bath in like absolute with cold water. Holy so shit, dude, that's brutal. <laughs> it's horrible because our rooms had like snakes <laughs> coming in there. What? There were like insects in the bathroom. I I remember when we went to Kanha, <laughs> there was that giant spider which was like the size of a plate. <laughs> Yeah, that was like room. an everyday thing. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. So we would wake up every day in the morning. They would take us for, you know, training walks. Mm-hmm. Uh, they would, uh, you know, help us practice how to guide. And they would constantly give us feedback. Like, we would give ourselves feedback. Uh, the entire team over there, like, uh, fellow trainers, we'd all share our own feedback. 
and the trainers were in turn gave us feedback. So it's a, it was a very feedback-oriented process, and you have to be really patient to listen to everything and ensure that, as well as your knowledge, your attitude is also uh, coming up the right way. We do presentations till 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock at night. We wake up again in the morning at, at the post uh, sunrise. So long days, but like I loved it because I've never done anything like this before. And it's, when you do something you like, you don't care how long it is, right? Yeah, you, yeah, exactly. yeah, I know what you mean. Because you're enjoying it. Because you're putting your heart and soul into it, right? Yeah, like, I, I get that. I, I get that feeling. And I, and I saw it. It's, it's, it was very evident from the stuff that you did. I mean, I, I, I kept on following you on Instagram and saw your stories and stuff. And it was awesome, man. I mean, like, you were doing what you what you loved and you were passionate about it. And that is something which I don't think many people can actually say that they have, right? I mean, we all work our jobs and stuff, but but truly, like, do we, is it really something that we're completely passionate about? Probably not. Probably, <laughs> right? not, probably not. Probably not. Like, I mean, I work in finance. I mean, it's nice. I enjoy the investment side of things because it helps me understand the stock market, and, you know, how the economy works and stuff. But am I truly passionate about it? N- not really. Like, it, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. But I, I mean, I think he does actually. Sorry, boss. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. He's a cool guy though. He's a cool guy though. So he he likes me. So he, I think he's fine. I think he's fine. Shout out to him. But so you so you, how long were you in Kanha? So I was in training for the whole training mm-hmm. ordeal. It lasted for six months. It was a long mm-hmm. and drawn out process. So the reason why it's so long and thorough is because uh, the company that I work for, it has a partnership with a South African company called And Beyond, which is like massive wildlife tour company. Like it's, a, it's an organization in wildlife tourism. They have like their own private game reserves. They have these amazing lodges in Africa. So we get the same kind of training in here. And plus at every stage, so basically I'll just tell you one more thing. It's like a reality show. Mm-hmm. Because you know, there are 15, 20 people in the program. And after, so after a few weeks, after a few months, People get cut, so it's like a reality issue. Do they do they cut, get cut short. willingly? Like do they cut? No, no, no. They cut you. So people who can opt out if they want to, but most okay. people did. So everyone, so they started cutting people. So you, you become really good friends. You have this huge mentality, and then suddenly after a week, I guess so. It's called the side. It's like where's your ticket? You're, you're, you're going home. <laughs> oh my god! So we're like we're like really sad, and we're like uh, <laughs> mourning the loss of our newfound friends. So but but what do they what do they base it on though? Like how do they like how do they know who to cut? Is it like the survival skills or something, or is that you don't adapt as a team no, player? Yeah, so team so being a team player is one like showing the right, right attitude. And since a lot of us other than me were also non-violent as so like we have to do really well in learning like knowledge. We have to learn about all the kinds of flora and fauna there is, starting from birds, mm-hmm. plants, insects, mammals. Mm-hmm. I just knowing about wildlife in general, and you also have to be obviously communication is a really important factor. Yeah, because at the end of the day, it is hospitality. So communication and all of that, they do help you with. But if you can't pick it up within a few weeks, mm-hmm. uh, including all of that, they they cut you off if they feel that not working out. That's that's very bad. But um, in in terms of like actually going out into the jungle to see the animals and stuff. You must have had some training like for, I guess, tracking as well to track these animals. Yeah, we do. So every day, so our campus was pretty large. It was about 100 acres. 
which is a pretty decent area and it's completely forested. So every day we would go out and walk. You know, they were teachers as well. And you could have, when we did our practice, guiding walks and all that, you know, the trainers would ask us, what is this? What do you think happened here? They tell us a story about what happened here. So, you know, by trying your best and succeeding and failing also, and they ridicule you a lot. So that also kind of puts pressure on you to you know, learn faster and then, you know, not like bullshit them too much. Yeah. So, yeah, so every day we would go out and, you know, we would practice guiding. So, for example, if we weren't allowed to go to the park, we would go around the villages nearby, the city village area. So, instead of seeing real animals, we would look at goats <laughs> or like uh, cows and stuff. And we would practice like a guiding sequence on, <laughs> like, on real animals. On, on goats and, and cows. Yeah, on goats and cows. Pretty ridiculous. But, but I mean, because the real thing is easier. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, but you were did they, did they like sh- like show you like tiger tracks and say okay, this is the the, yeah. gen- the direction that the tiger went in, and you can tell how fresh these tracks are and stuff. Absolutely. So when we went to the training walks ourselves, they were mm-hmm. obviously like, if there was something really worth telling us, they would. Uh, but you would always see tiger tracks inside the property because tigers would come in at night. Really? They would be oh, yeah yeah they would come pretty often because it's, uh, it's it's at the periphery of the national park and the river is always the river bed is always dry. So they would easily cross in and because you had a lot of herbivores like uh, deer, these large uh, wild cattle called gore, which is the largest yeah, wild Yeah, I, I saw, we saw gore. They, when oh, we yeah, we saw yeah, 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 we saw gore. Yeah, there's always a huge herd inside the property as well. They come, they come at night to the grasslands. So, so we did see tiger tracks, we see leopard tracks. We see any kind of tracks of any animals that, is, that you find in the jungle. And we would always try and examine them and we would learn after looking at them, observing what happened. They would then tell us what it actually was. So not trial and error. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we got a lot of... So six months is a long time. Mm-hmm. But uh, the actual practice of like tracking a tiger, it only comes when you're in the park with a real time. Yes, you're doing it over a period of time. So you're going every day back to back, morning, evening, morning, evening, inside the park. And it takes about maybe a year to get good at that. So the actual skill of picking up how to track animals, it comes over a longer period. Training is just to get you up to speed so you can do the best job possible when you're actually a guide or a naturalist. Yeah. The real experience comes when you're actually a naturalist. So, in the training, were they allowing you to take guests as well, or were you like alongside someone, like shadowing someone? Yeah, so we would shadow someone. We would go the real time uh, Mm naturalist. We would sit with them and we would have to be shut. (laughs) 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 You want to ask a difficult question which they can't answer. Yeah, <laughs> of course. <laughs> that would be too funny, yeah, dude. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah, mean, no, we would sit with them. It, it, it seems like uh, it wouldn't have been easy, I guess, right? The first time you must have done it on your own. Like, it must oh. have been pretty nerve wracking, I assume, because yeah, I mean, I know how it would really be. Hard. <laughs> yeah. You must, did you have any close encounters? Yeah, of course. So in the beginning, I didn't know my way around the park whatsoever. There are oh, like a hundred different roads. Like, yeah, yeah, I remember. So, not, yeah. So yeah, uh, so, <laughs> I didn't know the roots at all. And and so the funny thing happened in the first week, in on my first week of you know, taking actual guests out into the park. So, you, so if you don't know anything, you can't. You, if you don't know the tracks and stuff, like you can't, you can't tell the person that you're guiding that you don't know this. <laughs> so you just paid by your, right? You just you talk yeah, about yeah, yeah. I'm going to check out this area, and there's a chance, you know, there's a chance for like a male tiger or like a <laughs> something like that. Okay. So the funny thing was that I got a guide 
was as new as me. <laughs> oh my like, god. First week on the job. And he didn't know the roots as well. It's happened to me twice. It's the first time. And uh, so we were just driving and there was no speed limit really like technically on the car. And I was driving really quickly because I like I knew the general area but I didn't know where I was going. And there was a sort of incline and you couldn't see anything what you couldn't see what's on top of the incline. Mm-hmm. So I was just going quickly because I wanted to cover as many areas as possible because you want to see what I go. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I was just zooming up and suddenly I reached the top of this incline and there's a, there's a tiger ride in front, on top of that hill. Oh my and god, are you like serious? 10 or 12 jeeps looking at the tiger and they're looking at me. And like, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> get back, get back. And, and it was insane. The tiger was so close to us. And, it was, really? and the tiger got shot to see us. And then I moved in, and obviously the rest of the other people, the other people over there got really pissed off. Mm-hmm. had a good chance to see walking the road, but I came at like a really high speed. I kind of took everyone with the prize. So, yeah, I mean, and, those are rookie mistakes, but right? I mean, like you, like you don't know. I mean, you can't blame yourself. I mean, for, for something. No, like I don't that. blame myself. Yeah, 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 of course. <laughs> but that, that, but that was pretty. Like, so how long were you in, in Kanaha in total? So I, I spent a year and a half there. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was like an amazing experience. I got to learn a lot about tracking. I got to know a lot about tigers because it's mainly about the tiger. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I moved to Nepal. To Chitwan. So, yeah, it's a uh, place called Chitwan National Park, which is a fantastic place. It's very different from Kara. Yeah. Extremely different. Uh, the wildlife experience, the people. Mm-hmm. There are lots of tigers there as well, but you don't ever see them. It's mostly rhinos, I believe, right? Yeah, it's most known for its rhinos and like a huge vast. And have you heard of the Gharial? The very thin snout uh, crocodile. Yeah, yeah. It's like a, a, really it's like a yeah, yeah, yeah. Really long, thin snout, right? It's like an alligator, it's really, right? It's highly endangered. They're about 900 deaths in the wild, so it's one of the okay. only places where you find them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there are a lot of tigers here as well, but like for example, in Kana, I would see a tiger maybe uh, seven or eight times a week. At, like you know, on a good in a good week in Chitwan, I saw a tiger six times like for an entire year. Really? So yeah. So the I, there was, was a lot of poaching in Chitwan, right? I believe, like at least back in the early half of the nineteenth, twentieth uh, century, there was a lot of poaching in Chitwan, and then they put a ban on it. Yeah. So yeah, poaching was there, and like it was, uh, it was pretty. Uh, yeah, like it happened a lot in India and Nepal until the seventies. Mm-hmm. And then wildlife laws and international funding started coming in. But Nepal, in fact, today, Chitwan is, has like a pretty much zero portion rate because they have 1,200 soldiers, armed guards inside the park. There are 600 really? rhinos. Yeah, for every one, for every rhino, there are 1,200 soldiers with machine guns inside that park. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah, no one, no one's gonna, no one's gonna go in there for sure. No one left in there. <laughs> yeah. Because I mean, because I, 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 I did some reading on on Chitwan and I saw like at least you know until I think nineteen fifty seven or something there was uh, there there wasn't any law in place as such that you couldn't go and poach. Yeah. And I think in nineteen fifty seven there was some law which got passed where they which either reduced the number of poachers or uh, they 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 had they added the like one hundred and twenty armed guards or something to watch over the area or something like that. Is That's what correct. I remember. So there used to be a protected, so they used to have hunting and uh, I guess poaching also used to happen. Yeah. Yeah, and even the, the king himself would hunt. The king of Nepal at the time would hunt as well. Yeah. yeah. It was the elite class of people who would be doing it. 
there was actually a private hunting team. It was really for so before the British left India, these national parks, including India and Nepal, used to be like private hunting grounds. But after the British left India, between the late 40s and like the early 70s, uh, so before that period, only the royals and like the foreign people were allowed to hunt. Once that got done, hunting became rampant. Uh, sort of crossed all kind of income levels. It became free for all. So, so how many, so how many tigers are remaining in Shizwan at this point in time? There are about almost hundred, probably more than hundred tigers. Okay, that's. I thought it would be much less. Actually, that's. It's really well protected and it's pretty big. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. It is. I mean, I don't know. Like, do you do you think that the future of wildlife preservation is in a good place at this point in time. I mean, clearly India is making certain efforts to, you know, to curb poaching. And I, I believe the forest cover in India has grown 3% in the past four years or something like that, if I'm not mistaken. Grown. Yeah, the actual, the open, the actual forest cover in, in India has actually grown. But okay, so here's the, here, here's the truth about uh, how they calculate the forest cover in India. Okay. Uh, every park, every garden, Every monoculture, like you know, uh, like a bamboo plantation or uh, like a teak, teak plantation, even a basic garden, and even like a crop that's area considered forest. Are counted as they are, which is actually the totally wrong picture. Uh, the actual thing should be the, um, the percentage of protected areas in our country, which is natural forest, mm-hmm. which is probably under under four percent. Really, which is ridiculous. It is horrible. Well, because I, I like from what I saw is that they classify it differently. You have like the the open forest and you have the the thick forest or something or the heavy yeah. forest. And then you have the right. medium density forest or something. Is that is that correct? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm maybe I screwing I it up. I, I, I don't <laughs> know. Maybe I may be screwing it up or something. But like I read, I read this like some time ago because I actually heard that the forest cover in India and China has increased over the past 10 years, which I found really weird. I don't know about China. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know much about, I don't, I don't know much about China either, but um, at least, at least as far as India is concerned from what the environmental minister has said, he said that it has grown. I believe it has grown 1% or something over the past year. I, 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 I don't know. But then again, you know, like, do you really trust them? <laughs> you no, know? I don't, I don't at all. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I mean, yeah, but like you said, right? I mean, if they're gonna if they're gonna count the tree I have in my garden at the back as forest cover, then you know that's. Not, no. <laughs> I mean, sure, yeah, it is kind of cover, but like you're kind, you know, it's it's kind of apples and oranges over here, right? You're not gonna, you can't compare the two it's, exactly. I don't. know. It's actually become much worse under this government. So, so the, here's the thing: like when you have like the government ruling for a long time in India. And then you have another, like, so you have this government which has come back into power, like, full force, like the BJP. And mm-hmm. they've promised certain things to people, saying that this would be a pro-development age. Other than their right-wing agenda, they also promised development, like, economic development, and 60% of India's rural. Mm-hmm. So they wanted to uplift, uh, so this is actually what got them into power in the first place, is the pro-development agenda, other than the religious nonsense that they, like, they kind of push. The pro-development agenda was the highest thing. And for them to show numbers, uh, so for them to show development, it obviously comes 
are a huge environmental cost. So even though the classification shows like the story, but the reality is totally, totally the opposite. They are like in the last six years, there's been the most destruction of wildlife in the short in, in wildlife areas. The highest amount of environmental clearances, 99% environmental clearance in the last six years, which is ridiculous. 99%. 99% of all projects have been cleared by the one. So sorry, sorry, good, I didn't, I didn't catch the last part. I didn't catch the last part. What did you say at the, at the sorry, end? Uh, 99% of all uh, projects have been mm. given environmental clearance by the government. Oh, really? 99% of all yeah, projects? Yeah. That's a high clearance rate. And that's their agenda, which is which they have clearly written out as well. It's, it's, it's more like economic benefit over environmental concern, I think. It is, it is. Yeah. But like, it's tough to balance the two. Uh, so like we come from quite privileged uh, backgrounds. So yeah. have to make a judgment on what is correct. Who knows what is the, like, what is it good for the country or not. But I think 99% and... That's a little too high. That, yeah. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. It's, it's actually pretty ridiculous. In fact, even during COVID-19, they cleared 30 projects uh, in wildlife areas, including, you know, coal mines. And mm-hmm. you know, hydroelectricity dams and you know, railway projects have been cleared in, 20, in a matter of two hours between each project. Like they have, so they've been doing this on Zoom now. So there's no scope for like a proper recce's and there's no scope yeah. for even public protest. So they've been, last fortnight, they cleared around 30 projects. Uh, and so amazing virgin forests of Northeast India and South India have been about, you know, numbering about 270,000 to around 500,000 trees. Each area going to just be mm. Yeah, I heard Northeast India has hit the worst as far as all of these jungle clearances are concerned. It's the most underdeveloped states, uh, region in India, and it's the right for development now. So, yeah, so they do. So this is the last place remaining, a last forest remaining, and they're gonna go pretty soon. I see. I see people are still protesting, though. I mean, not anymore because of COVID nineteen, though. But like I have a few people like on on social media like who very openly protest um, the the felling of trees and stuff. Um, like I see, I, there's Absolutely. this one guy. There's this one guy who I follow on 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 Instagram, and like he's like right in the center in the thick of it. Like I mean, he goes and like he. I think Ari was it Ari Colony or something that that. That was in Bombay. That's in that Bombay. Was part of Bombay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like these guys, like they went and they started banging on the gates and stuff, and like you know. The cops had come and you know they were pushing the cops and it was absolute madness, dude. But I mean, <laughs> I, I I I guess it's necessary, right? I mean, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna, I understand the need to that you wanna you wanna better your economy, but at the cost of the environment is there has to be a balance which is struck between the two. I mean, if if there's yeah. one thing that if there's one thing that COVID nineteen has taught uh, has taught us is that governments and all these superpowers around the world they can put the the you know their economies on hold but there will be serious detrimental uh, detrimental effects to it you know so yeah once covid gets over everything's going to go back up again yeah exactly and like you know there's going to be fire up even more to like the economy that and so it's not a good time yeah i mean i don't know like do you think that there is a good future though like for environmental protection, like in at least in India, do you do you do you do you see that with the current efforts taking place? I don't. I, I, for me, I don't. I don't personally know, honestly, because it's very hard to filter out the news, right? But 
what, what do you think from someone who's in the thick of it i'm not actually i'm not the best person to answer but i can give you my like i give you like a rough idea where mm-hmm. i come from and what i think based on what i read and what i see because i'm not a i'm not, like, I'm not a, like a grassroots conversation uh, but i can tell you that the future for the environment in india is it's at its lowest if you have a government or something 5 trillion it's a 5% dollar economy we have our population is obviously constantly rising and with a with a very with a so the government currently it's a very powerful government they a government of action like i although we have a disagreement but i can tell you this they, they are a government of action so they have promised development and they do have a lot of power in the northeast Uh, so a good thing about development project is that uh, electricity like a basic thing like electricity uh by the creation of them it provides like an area which doesn't have that hasn't had that for this like entire existence they get opportunities for schools for investment for like companies to come and like set up you know create jobs create an economy over there you know control the water as well so these kind of things It's a, like India, it's quite difficult to ju- like to judge what is good for the country. But environmentally speaking, it's really poor. We have one of the, the most, one of the most polluted uh, countries uh, in the entire world. Our uh, emission rate is quite high as well. Not not compared to America, for example. But like we use, we still use coal, which is one of the most polluted countries in the world. Yeah, yeah. But so, it's actually pretty hard to judge uh, what is right and wrong. But environmentally speaking. I don't know honestly like at least from my standpoint it seems like the government doesn't seem to really care for the environment this is me sitting in canada and and just watching the news like i'm not there at this point in time to actually see what it's actually like at ground zero but from from what i can see it doesn't seem like the government really cares much it, they, they care a lot about the economy definitely I mean Modi is like has always been you know spearheading the economy and you know radical change and all that stuff but as far as the environment is concerned I mean I honestly really don't know but I want to I want to I want to get into like the education side of things because I truly I I honestly believe that education is the best way that is the best way forward as far as the environment is concerned to shift people's attitudes towards protecting the environment as such You've done a lot of education. I know for a fact in Chhatwan itself that you've gone to, you you had a school or something. You donated. You I don't remember exactly what you did, but I know you you did teach these kids something or the other about about you know wildlife protection yeah. conservation. Can can you tell us so more about like, that? Yeah. So periodically, uh, we would uh, even for like for local communities as well as um, so for local communities it's important. We did this in India and as well as we did. So, so the people who live next to the forest, they're the kids and stuff. Their parents have like seen wildlife in their lives, 
and even though they live here and they see like all kinds of people around the world coming and you know they are home home let's say from place where they live they have no idea what's in there mm-hmm. so from time to time like people like us like a naturalist wildlife guy we would take kids inside the farms and we would show them uh, their their heritage and we would show them exactly what is it that the genetics concentrates we would tell them that the importance of it And we also go to each individual school in nearby areas to tell them about the wildlife and the importance of conservation. And in, so we did the same thing in Nepal also. And so how old are these kids? So we obviously we try and target the most impressionable children. Also, like if they're too young, they won't understand. They won't understand. Yeah, yeah. Because, like they forget it tomorrow or in the next one hour. Mm-hmm. So we will target kids for uh, from seven to sixteen. Mm-hmm. Some even like fifteen, sixteen years as well, so that they have an idea. So I'm clueless. Like I'm, I'm a like a reasonably privileged person uh, with like the best schooling and you know the most amount of uh, exposure that is better be got in our country. I don't know about wildlife. How do I expect like other kids to know about it? So, yeah, I think children are like very important in like, educating, not educating, but like you know, teaching them the importance of uh, wildlife and the need to protect it. and and it's interesting because I, I, because a lot of i think majority of india's population is below the age of 50 it's, yeah. it's we have a very young demographic of people living in india right very, so very a lot can a lot can change i mean you know through education i think that's i think that's the, the missing link in india you know the education side of things like from what i know of the government educational programs is that they're not all that useful from what i understand i could be i could be i could be entirely wrong i could be entirely wrong but like i saw this i saw this one clip i mean oh, should i should try and find it but it was really funny i mean there was this um it was in gujarat it was these it was this preschool book in gujarat and they were talking about is this is this mic okay i thought i heard some buzz yeah. anyways so they were talking they were, they were talking about this book that these kids got and in the book it said that when god was creating human beings he made them like bread so it, it's really it's really fucking controversial anyway so he takes the, he takes the bread and puts it in the oven and it, oh listen <laughs> listen to me okay so he so he when he takes it out first it's it's undercooked and that's basically the representation of white people and white people are undercooked then he puts it in again and he bakes it for too long and then it was overcooked and that's how black people were born <laughs> so then he figured out how to do it just right and when the bread came out it was brown and that's how indians were born dude this is an, an actual book in in gujarat like in in like a preschool book this is the kind of stuff they're telling kids so like if you have if you have propaganda like that you know and in in your in elementary school in preschool you these kids are impressionable right i mean they they are empty vessels essentially whatever you fill in there is how they're going to probably live their life in the future and by you having the sort of stuff in books it's not like it it's 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 such a backward thinking mentality honestly you know to like horrible. it's horrible dude like it's it's absolutely horrible 
I mean, I should try and find. Why are you the biggest way. market for fairness screens in India? Like the biggest market. Yeah, but I mean, you know, you know, everyone, yeah, everyone wants fairness screens, but over here, the white people want to get brown. <laughs> yeah. Like it's so, so weird, work. you know. Like you know, like oh yeah, like I have, like I have people who work with me, and they be like, oh, you know, I got a nice stand today, and I'm like, oh, so you wanted to be brown, eh? And they were like, yeah. I was like, you know, in India, people want to be white. And they're like, really? That's so weird. Why do you want to so, be white? I mean, your skin gets all fucked up and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We're we're never really happy with ourselves, basically, right? I, I don't know. Yeah, um, it, it's one. It's. But it's I think one the, the, the the thing that you were talking about about this uh, skin, like lavender uh, and red analogy, I think that's the reason that this should. This is in Gujarat, though. This is in Gujarat. This was I saw this on some. There was some interview. Um, this this and obviously Gujarat is Modi's, like you know. Yeah, it's his home state, right? So you can expect a certain, a lot more influence from his government over there. But at the same time, like, it's just not right, dude. I mean, you know, when 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 you're talking to kids, and you know, you're going to be telling them stuff that Indians are superior to any other race in the world. Like, I mean, that's that's just not right, man. <laughs> Especially in this day and age, you know. I mean, we are all human beings, man. Why can't we just be happy with each other? Like what the fuck? Dude? I don't know, man. I think <laughs> I the tolerance know. has like become the become the thing right now. Uh, yeah, you know, I just I just hope there's a better system in place for education. I mean, I don't want to get into too too political and stuff, but that's my two cents on on politics because I don't want to get you know blasted by some supporters or something. But whatever, man. You know. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I I still live here, man. What's that? I still live here, dude. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you better watch yourself. <laughs> Yeah. Um but okay so back into the wildlife thing. Do you think that this that wildlife tourism changes people's attitudes? I mean no, I know it certainly changed yours. But do you think like, you know, this this wildlife tourism if promoted in you know on a larger scale would change people's attitudes with conserving the environment they are part of? Most definitely. I think uh, anyone who comes in Beautiful landscapes, uh, a place without a single wrapper or plastic, place which is silent, it has cool wind blowing uh, any time of the day, you see beautiful animals. Again, I think like people in general are they're not stupid, they're trained to be stupid, but not stupid in general. But anyone who comes to such a place, it, it affects them in a certain way. And so the reason why we have. Uh, so many people who are into wildlife now is because they probably have an experience in their life. People donate a lot of money into wildlife. Or people have started schools. People have left their jobs sometimes to get into conservation. A lot of people who have really high paying jobs uh, to get into complete conservation and they like hate issues of public lawyers and you know, publications as well, like magazine owners like Sanctuary Asia. It's a very famous magazine run by someone from Mumbai. So, through you know, exposure is the only way really that the larger public can get into wildlife. And a really important thing in India is that, I should be saying is that uh, the entry ticket into a national park actually is at a really reasonable cost. All the hotels charge, whatever they charge, and stuff like that. But so, like, the basic entry is not, not as much. So, that allows a lot of people from different backgrounds. How much would it, how much would it cost? I don't remember how much it cost us to get into Kano. It wasn't that expensive. I know that for sure. It didn't see. It wasn't that expensive. Like the lodging, everything, and stuff like that was more expensive than that. 
the actual safari itself. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so it is it is accessible. It's just that you know you have to like know more about it to come and do it. But yeah, so it is accessible, and they're not too expensive. Nowadays, you have flights going to almost every corner of the country. So yeah, not flights, even like trains that yeah. provide a uh, motor transport. And people can do it, it's just that they don't know about it. Still, like the channel really thing to do right now. Especially open up market children as well. Mm-hmm. I guess, I guess, again, again, you need to probably have a balance for something like that, right? I mean, while you want to promote it to get people educated about, you know, conserving wildlife and stuff, you also don't want to like get a whole bunch of people coming to the park at the same time, right? Yeah, I mean, sure. there's a delicate balance. I mean, I don't know how that's going to be worked out, uh, how the logistics of that would have to be worked out, but I would assume Actually, that. Actually, though, we have a lot. So there's a, there's only limited amount of people who get into the park each day. The government is really strict on that. You can't ever cross that limit. So there are there are. It's actually pretty hard to get a safari permit. As you and I found out, we used to go early in the morning and wait in line for like two hours to get a car. I remember we used to go at like 4:30 a.m. at the archer just to go and finalize that safari permit because we had no tickets to go yeah, so there is a limit. So the government has these things in place where, so in fact, uh, interestingly enough, only about uh, 10% of the entire, like an entire tiger reserve is open for the Oh, really? The, the whole, yeah, yeah, that's the rule. It's actually 20% of the core area, but that's, that translates to 10% of the entire reserve. So we only see a small fraction of it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so it's actually quite restricted. Percent. Okay. Yeah, and so I guess... can it... control mass of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess so. I guess you can, in that case, you can control the, the masses from going in over there and stuff. You know, and obviously it would, it would be beneficial for the economy of that particular region as well. I would assume, right? I mean, um, but I mean, with with COVID and stuff going on right now, like I assume everything is just like straight up shut. Yeah, everything is shut. <laughs> obviously, tourism is that is completely dead. Yeah, everyone's. Uh, like <laughs> Everyone's pretty much, true. but I guess hey, the tigers and the tigers and stuff must be rejoicing, right? I mean, it's like a free for all in there right now, right? There's no, there's no cars and stuff to disturb them, and you know, <laughs> they are moving in areas that they hadn't moved earlier. I'm sure. Yeah. Know. yeah, it'll be interesting to see after we come out of this what what the wildlife is going to look like because I mean, it, how how long have has India been under lockdown now for two months? Almost two months. Yeah, almost two months. Yeah, the thirty first of May, I think. Right, that's like, more than two months. Really? Oh shit! Yeah, May thirteenth, like March thirteenth. Yeah. yeah, that is more than two months, dude. That's like two and a half months. Do you think they're gonna? They're, do you think they're gonna extend the lockdown any further? Uh, I think Bob, like Maharashtra, might. Mm-hmm. Mumbai definitely will ensure because like the number of cases are going up for sure. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure about the rest of India. Whether they should open another country, but you know, I think Bombay. I think it will extend for sure. Yeah, Clavel, Clavel was telling me like it, you'll, that Bombay is the red zone, I believe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> highly red. <laughs> so I don't know. Three or four thousand cases a day. Really? Yeah, that's yeah. insane, dude. Three or four thousand a day. I mean, it's inevitable. At at our at at so, I live in in British Columbia in Vancouver, and yesterday we had ten cases. Um. <laughs> The day before that, we had, I think, six cases, and 
um, the day before that. The lowest we've ever had is two cases in a day. And the highest we've ever had, I think, is maybe 70 cases in a day. Wow. Yeah. So I, 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 don't, I don't know what they're doing over here, but whatever they're doing, bloody good job, man. Um, like people, people are social distancing and stuff over here. Like I see it all the time. Um, we, I mean, aren't you going to work as well? I am. I am going to work. Like, uh, but I go to work three days a week. Uh, so, brilliant. yeah, yeah. So, um, but I'm in an essential services, anyways, right? I'm in finance, so I kind of have oh, to be there. Right? People, people want to pull out of the market. I have to be there and tell them and talk to them about it. Oh. You know, people yeah. want to invest. I need to go and talk to them about it. You know, but I'm doing all of my appointments over the phone. Um, so I, we try and avoid in-person meeting at any given point in time. Uh, but, but really, I mean, I'm quite happy the way the situation is over here. Um, they're doing, they're doing a really, a really good job, at least in this province. I mean, in Ontario and stuff, like it's pretty much screwed over there. Like, I mean, these guys are having thousands of cases in a day and stuff, you know? So, um, yeah, British Columbia is one of the best, I think, but how has life been for you though on lockdown? I mean, I see you shaved your head. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. I to, because I don't want to go yeah. to power for like a long time. It's the kind mm. of hours that we go to. I think it's awesome. Yeah, of that. course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. I've been there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've been there many, many times, dude. But I miss it, dude. Like, 50, like I used to pay 50 rupees yeah. for my haircut. <laughs> yeah, I think it's about uh, maybe double of that. <laughs> I, pay, I pay $30 right now for a haircut. Thirty dollars. Yeah, yeah. Thirty dollars for a haircut. Too much, man. Which is like fifteen hundred rupees or so for a haircut. Like in India, it used to be like fifty rupees. But I mean, I like, I like my, I like my hairdresser. She's really sweet. Like I've been going to her for years, so I don't mind like you know paying money to her for it, whatever. But yeah, dude. I mean, for at least at least for 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 me, things are not. It's been a net positive for the lockdown. Um, you know, like I'm still thankfully getting to to do stuff and you know that's one of the reasons why i started the show actually you know um it's because you know you get to be productive and stuff in your days when you're not doing anything really yeah. but for you at <laughs> least like how are you how are you staying productive uh, well are so, you being productive i'm uh, trying, trying my yeah trying my so the thing is that uh, so, so i'm pretty used to like Few months I have been working. Like I was, I worked at this company, like while left to a company in Delhi. But I, so most of the work is back in now. And uh, so I've been working at home for about six months. So I'm okay. Mm-hmm. Like I can survive at home. Mm-hmm. The only drawback is that you don't get to go for a job, which I love doing. I don't get to play football, which is something I really love doing. Yeah. But uh, in terms of productivity, in the last couple of months, I have been studying for like. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which is not going to well. It's too hard, man. <laughs> I, I, yeah, it is. I mean, you know, this is this is GMAT, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, GMAT is not easy. I call it GMAT. Too hard. <laughs> it's, 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 yeah, it's not, it's not easy, man. And they have all these ridiculous, like, logic questions and stuff. Um, because we haven't been studying since, like, uh, like half our lives. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> I mean when I went to, when I did when I did my master's degree in two thousand and fourteen, dude, like just simple math, like basic math, like I just struggled with it. 
like you know i mean and and i'm like what the hell happened because you know i, I was well I, to be fair i was never great shakes at math i kind of sucked at math <laughs> but um you know but when i came You're on finance I, like, now dude that's insane yeah but finance has nothing to do with math it's more to do with understanding how the economy works and stuff so like it's kind of like you know you have to know like the stuff that's going on in the world and how it can potentially impact markets and and interest rates and stuff so that that's kind of interesting in its own way um but really i mean i we have calculators man like if anyone wants to me to calculate the interest rate i have a calculator i can use it <laughs> so that's fine but like yeah you know i i i totally get it dude because i mean for me like even studying like after uh, i took a break for i was working at the taj for 3 years um and then and then i did my mba and even in those 3 years like i just like lost all like i don't know i just lost everything about studying like i i, I forgot how to write like my my hands used to cramp up when i would take a pen and write Boy. yeah dude like i i still i still have a slight cramp which i get like at the side over here when i write with a pen because i'm so used right. to typing everything out right now i like i don't know times have times have changed like really 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 badly i don't know but yeah i i can i can totally get it um so so tell me like do you have any advice for someone in lockdown like i asked this to clever as well and he said you know if you can do whatever you want you don't have to be productive <laughs> <laughs> so my advice is more yeah i know maybe what sorry yeah my advice or to anyone who's at home so i can obviously kind of give advice to like people who are uh, people who are like financially stuck who are like dead in their, on their head and all that or like yeah, i can't relate to that the people who are like okay who have no financial burdens or like handy burdens and stuff like that i think it's i think it's okay to like uh, be happy in one company or something that you won't get to do uh, you won't get to do until you retire so i think Uh, you know, being by yourself or like being within yourself, I think it's something that you should accept and like, you should kind of revel in it. Because it's a good time for reflection. I don't want to sound too preachy and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it is a good time to you know, to take stock of your family, to probably pick up new things that you haven't ever done in your life. Like, so for example, my dad was quiet. He never, like, never, never, never slept on the floor and stuff. Yeah, it's the small so things that count. Forward. I feel like you don't have to learn a new language. Time. Like you don't have to learn a new language or pick up a new skill or whatever. <laughs> you know, I mean, I I personally think you know, like for someone like who doesn't have that sort of motivation to to you know whatever learn a new language and or play a new instrument or whatever. You know, it's 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 always good to like start with something small. You know, and have those That's small cool. wins, right? Like, I mean, you can start by I don't know cleaning up your room. for one yeah. right i mean organize the surroundings right the surroundings which 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 your major surroundings which you're going to be waking up to and going to sleep in every night right and that in itself that is, is at least at least for me when i when i clean up when i clean up my place i feel good dude like i mean i feel like 
I, I feel like yeah, now I can get someone over. You know, like I mean, that's what that. Is she is no, she's not listening to this. <laughs> But I'm sure she will. I'm sure she will. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, makes it like one hour. Yeah. Oh shit. Yeah, it's been it's been over an hour, man. But yeah, I, I you know, thanks for coming on, dude. Like, um, no, I, I don't mean to cut I, you short or whatever. No, no, no. I mean, like, I, I really, I honestly do appreciate. It. Like, I had a few more things to ask you because I, I, pro- I promised okay. Kavala. I, I promised Kavala I'd ask you one question. What's the dating scene like during COVID nineteen? You know, he told me that he told me that uh, he told me that he's you're not gonna ask me this question. What a guy! <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Where did I tell him that? I never said anything like that. I said I said I would ask you. I said I would ask you. He said he said, uh, yeah, Varun would know better. So that's why I'm asking you. I know better. Oh, yeah, inside info. Oh, this dating scene is like there's virtually none. I mean, okay, it's virtually on. Yeah. There's virtually none really. Yeah. All we have is like uh, three <laughs> the trifecta of things: Tinder and Bumble. Yeah. Sorry, but. Oh, uh, we gotta focus on that to socialize, and we hope that someday restaurants and bars will open, and then you can take someone that you meet on there. That's what you say. Yeah, But I hope so. It's been bleak, man. At the moment, it's quite bleak. I hope so. The dating scene is dead. And there's no video the chat component, video. right, in any of these apps. I think. Oh, there are. There are. Oh, there are video yeah, chat components. Because of COVID nineteen. I think. I think it's a response. It's a response from these apps to COVID nineteen. But I'm not. I'm not. In, I'm not into that video chatting. Maybe I should. Have. <laughs> I don't know, dude. There are plenty of these apps out there. Plenty of these dating apps. I don't know. I'm. I'm not. I'm not in tune with this anymore. Honestly, uh, I'm. I'm way too far. I'm way too. I'm way too far out of the game at this point in time. <laughs> no, they're good, man. They're good for networking, also not just dating. Like, like these yeah. Like, get in touch on social media, also. Like, it could be helpful. Mm-hmm. And honestly, dude, it's like I'm. I'm glad that. Well, I'm not glad that this that COVID nineteen happened, but I'm glad that I have I have the opportunity now to connect with people like you know yourself, Clevel, and whoever might come on, right? Because you know, COVID nineteen has caused so many people to just stay at home and have nothing to do. That this is a nice way to meet up with people and you know listen to them and speak with them and see their thought processes and all that stuff, right? So I quite I quite enjoy doing this, dude. And honestly, like I, I, when I when I put up these videos, like I don't really edit them much. Like I, I barely pull out anything. I barely pull out anything in the video. Um, but yeah, you know, um, I think that I think that's really it. Um, we've spoken for like what over an hour or so right now. I think it's like eleven thirty-five. Don't buy, man. Uh, thanks for coming on, man. Cheers, Cheers dude. Yeah, Cheers. it's it's always it's always good talking to you, man. It's always good. All right. Love you, bro. Love you too, man. <laughs> Peace.